So we have looked at a couple of the chapters. The overview of uh, Ephesians is split into two sections, the identity in Christ and the action of Christ. And we looked at the first three chapters of Ephesians, and Paul is an incredible writer. I mean, he's got intentional. He's not just blanked out, eyes rolled back, and started just penning down some things. No, he's had a team around him. He's had a thought because Ephesians, with empowered by the Holy Spirit, is a manifesto to all new Christians. If you want to understand what Paul's heart was to Christians that he would never meet, that he wanted to relay what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, this is the book for you. For me, I feel like this is ground zero for us as Christians. And it's so good, right, to go back to what it all means, going back to the foundation. How many of you, Ephesians is your favorite book to read? Let's see the hands raised. Oh, not many. So Lamentations, kind of like those kind of long historical readings. To me, Ephesians is just one of those amazing books that covers everything in a really short space. And I'm all about that. I like the bite-sized stuff that I can just quickly glean. I don't care so much for the long narratives that tell me points. Just tell me your three points and let's get going on with it. And so this is my favorite book. It's a condensed down version that just brings richness and life. And so in the center of these three chapters, the mountaintop, is in Jesus, you are a holy temple. So as we walk through this, we're going to be walking through and feeling like we're in a forest. And we need to keep this idea, which is found in Ephesians 2, 19 to 22, the center point that Paul wants to make, that you, in Jesus, which we covered last week, in Jesus, you are redeemed, made new. In Jesus, you are a holy temple. And so in that space, in Christ. In Christ is Paul's favorite language for you as an identity as Christ followers. That you're not just someone that is, um, that is following Jesus from afar, but actually your identity is in the living Christ. You are Lord. He is Lord. And we ourselves are birthed inside of him. I love this quote. No, we are not rooted. Our identity is not rooted in what you do, not what you have, what people think of you. It's rooted not even in your past or your present. It's rooted in Jesus and who you're becoming in that. That's the joy of the Lord. No matter who you are right now or who you've been in your past, Jesus is saying that there is a future you that you are becoming. Are we thankful for that this morning? Are we thankful for a future hope? Because I know that me, when I look at myself, I'm just like, God, I need you right now. Like, I thought I was doing good, but then I look at myself, and I'm just like, man, I'm so far away from where I want. And I'm thankful that God is faithful to bring that about. And so it's not even in our past or our present. It's rooted in Jesus who's becoming. And so when we start to see the way God sees us, this is where following Jesus radically transforms our life. Rather than trying to please God all the time, rather than trying to just read our scriptures and just trying to do the to-do list of Christianity, we actually come alive to a God who loves you, who wants to be in relationship with you. And I think that's one of the hardest things for us as Christians to cultivate, right? So often I get into my checklist. I give my life to this vocation of being a pastor, yet I so easily fall into the grind of just doing my devotions, the Bible in one year, you know, kind of just tick the boxes, and I, I forget to stop 
and remember that I'm in relationship with a living, breathing God who just loves to be with me and sees me so rightly. He sees me as righteous because of Christ. And so with all that, we feel that we are able to come. But so often it feels like all hell breaks loose, right, when we talk about this. How many of you had a bad week? I had a bit of a rough week. It wasn't, it wasn't like terrible by any means. Nothing bad happened. But as I was even preaching off in Christ, all my identity started to shake again. Anyone find that? That when you start speaking a promise or things in life, all hell breaks loose. And I was like, I preached this message last week of how good he is, that in Christ I don't have to perform, yet I find myself again trying to perform, trying to be, and trying to aim and please my heavenly father rather than coming from a place of in Christ. You find that funny, don't you? That when good things happen, or when you speak, I love that we've got the pessimists in the room, right? Whenever we say, it's not going to rain, or this isn't going to happen, suddenly, or you said it, especially when we're parents, right? They're sleeping all through the night. And those uttered words are ushered. You've said those words. They're not going to sleep through the night anymore. You know, we have those sayings, right? We don't want to speak goodness because we're afraid of the force that comes against us. Anyone experience that? Just me? Okay, everyone in the room. This is, it's a weird phenomenon. I mean, as our, as our non-Christian friends and some Christians do, touch wood. Touch wood to secure yourself in your mystic kind of idea. That if I touch this piece of wood, suddenly that saying that I've just said is covered by the wood. But isn't it funny that we live in this? We have this superstition, but God is saying that in Christ... You are more than you could ever be. And so I want to revisit this chapter again. I wanted to intentionally spend two weeks because I knew that the identity would be attacked again. And you know what? As we unveil more of our true identity and his goodness, you are going to become under more attack because there is nothing more that the enemy wants to destroy in your life than his goodness. How you see him as a good God is the enemy's frontal attack that he is not good, that you can do it by yourself. That is the greatest lie that the enemy always betrays back into the garden that God is not good. And so we want to unveil ourselves to his goodness today. So if you have your Bibles with me, turn to Ephesians chapter 1 again, and we're going to have a look at verses 3 and 6. And it reads this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as He, the Father, chose us in Jesus before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He, the Father, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, in Jesus. Amen. What a powerful, powerful scripture. Do you ever remember a time where you didn't feel good enough? Uh, that's every day, right? Every day we feel like we're not good enough. More specifically, when you weren't chosen. Remember a moment in life where you weren't chosen. Maybe we'll go back to when you're in kindergarten and there's a party and you've been not invited to it. 
Or you've used it as a threat to another person. You're not my friend anymore. You're not invited to my birthday party. Maybe more recently you've experienced that. You've heard of a friend having a party and you're not invited. Maybe it was when you were in school and you passed a note to that girl or boy and you said, yes or no, will you go out with me? And back came the note with a stunning no. Came before you and all sorts of like rejection came over your body. No, I'm not chosen. You cried and you moved on with life to the next couple of girls onwards and upwards. Maybe for you it was playing sports. Maybe for you, you are not athletic and it was not easy and you were always the last person to be chosen. For me growing up, I was pretty good and then suddenly I shot up and I had no coordination over this long body. Suddenly where I used to be able to catch balls, my arm where I thought used to be there is now further up because my brain has not quite caught on to it. And so I became a last picked person. In fact, that haunting, and now I'm okay now, I'm good, I've got myself together, my brain has worked out how far my arm is. I haven't grown anymore, thankfully, though every time I meet people back home, they always go, have you grown? I'm like, no, you just forget how tall I am, that's all. Or I love when people come up to me and go, wow, you're tall. It's like, do you not see me from really far away? I mean, I am tall, six foot four um, tall. But I was reminded of, of my last picking in sports. I went away with some pastors, and uh, we played basketball. And so to pick the team captains, you had to take shots, and the ones who made the most shots won. I can't shoot very well for basketball, just not very good at it. And so all of them knew, they're all Americans, I'm the one Brit, and so they're like, he's British, no good. So I come along, and I'm having the team picks, and they're picking and picking, and I am the last person there. Little did they know I'm six foot four and I can kill it at taking a ball in defense. So I was owning them all the time and they were like, ah, bad mistake. So I got my own back on them. But that's not always how we feel, right? Can you remember those times where you were last, where you weren't picked up? Or maybe school projects weren't your thing. In a school, not very big, in a class of a max of 15 people in my year. 15 people in my whole year, you got to know everyone's strengths and weaknesses. And for me, I am not academic. I've come a long way, but school was just really, really difficult for me. And so I was always looking to be chosen with the smart one. So I could just like support them, encourage them. Yeah, you go for it. That's awesome. Love that idea. What can I do? You tell me what you want me to do. I will get it done. And so I was always feeling like, please pick me, choose me with someone who's better than me because I am not going to be able to carry this by myself. But maybe you felt it in church. Isn't it funny that in church we all experience that? Maybe for you, when you come to the space, you see someone with their Bible all highlighted, it's frayed at the sides. And you see them just studying the Word, making notes while I'm talking. And you're like, I think God likes them more than me. You've got your iPhone out, and you're meant to be in the Bible app, but actually you're in Facebook. You're actually shopping online for other things. I see your phones. Don't worry. <laughs> but your secret's out. But I am gracious. I'm loving. I'm like, it's okay. But maybe for you, you see those people, and you're like, I'm not chosen. God doesn't love me because I just don't see what they're seeing. I don't know or understand what's kind of going. You love those people that come up to you and say, I'm praying for you. Or you're on my prayer list, and you're like, I don't even have a prayer list. What kind of person am I that I'm on this prayer list? I'm like, what am I doing? I feel so disqualified. 
that these people can just come out and start to shunda. And she came on a Honda and all these wonderful sayings. And you're just like, I don't get what's happening right now. I feel like I'm not chosen. I feel like I'm just not good enough. But God chose them and not me. God chose me. And isn't it strange? But if maybe you're on the other side, maybe you're on the other side. I can see why those people aren't chosen. Are they really a Christian? Did you see what they posted online? Did you see what she was wearing? Did you see how they're acting around other people? Do you see what they've been watching? They're not chosen. They're people that are not chosen. And so why do we feel like we dictate who's chosen, who's in, or who's out? Why is it that the church is known for choosing who is in and who is out? Does the Bible dictate who's in or out? The Bible doesn't say, if you do this, you will be chosen. There is nowhere in the Bible that dictates that message. All are welcome. God chose everyone. He chooses us first. There is nothing good about you. Can I tell you that? Can you just let off the weight this morning that you feel like that you've got it together? There is nothing that's good about you and all that is in you is the image of God that is sparking something inside of you. But God first chose you. I'm not a predestination person, and so this is my lens. And so I'm going to kind of take you on a bit of a journey, but I do want you to look at some scripture that proves this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. What is the world? Everybody. Not just this section, this nation, this person. Everybody who decides to follow Jesus. In this moment in Acts, when First to the Jew, Jesus came, and then to the Gentile, us, the Spirit came in this beautiful moment where the Holy Spirit falls upon these Gentiles, and Peter's like, I don't get it. God had to give him a dream and a vision of that to tell him how it was going to be. And so he has this word as he sees before him, Gentiles entering into the kingdom. He thought, you know what? I thought God was all about just Jewish people, that we are the chosen nation. And suddenly his mind was blown and he says this. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts every nation, every tribe, every tongue, the one who fears him does what is right in him. The door is wide open, but it depends on how we want to respond to him. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Aren't we thankful for that this morning? He is so patient with you, not wanting anyone, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone who is to come to repentance. You are chosen. As we read in scripture, before the foundations of the earth, in Christ, you were chosen. As the word was spoken, Jesus, who is the word, when the light was spoken, let there be light. Christ, the word of God, was spoken into the foundations of the earth. That scripture says that in all things holds Christ. And in him, before the foundations of the earth, everyone was chosen but not everyone chooses him back. We have a place in God's heart. We have been adopted. He chooses everyone. 
So what if, and I put it to you today, if choosing is not in or out? If I put it to you today, it's not in or out. What is Paul's view of chosen? Remember, the story you believe is the story that you live out. So a mental exercise for you all today. So mental exercise. There are a lot of godly words in here. There's predestination, adoption, Jesus. There's lots of familiar words that you have had your mind shaped throughout all of the years. And there is a story, a narrative that is attached to those words. Words themselves are very moldable. It depends on the context or the person to determine what it means. So for example, if you saw this phrase, if you imagine yourself, you're in the cafe shop and you're listening and you hear this phrase declared out from the table afar, it says, we're going in there and we're going to take them out. All sorts of things are going to start coming through that. If you saw coaches, so coaches of a football team, they're finishing up their huddle, we're going to go in there and take them out. You're like, oh, going to crush a team. Hope you win. Good job. Maybe if you had contractors, people with tape measures, pencils, things like that, we're going to go in there and take them out. Maybe they've got to take out drywall, they've got to take out beams. But what if it's mafia, mafia? What if in that moment you suddenly see these people kind of dressed up, kind of thug, lookish, and they say, we've got to go in there and take them out. You're going to phone up the police and be like, guys, someone's about to die. But don't you notice that that phrase is all completely moldable? It depends on the context and the person that shapes the whole being. And so often we have a narrative of our Western concept that shapes the words that we read. So the story that we typically hear is this. There was God in the beginning. There was us, me, we. We were created from the beginning. But we have an issue. We have a really big issue. We have sin in our lives that has caused us to die that we could not experience relationship with the God. We were separated away from God. And so there is this big issue called sin. And so we were heading to the sad place, which is hell. But Jesus came and died. That His life, death, and resurrection now means that we can go to heaven. And typically we tell this biblical story over and over again to people. And maybe you were saved because of this reason, fire insurance. I don't want to burn in hell. I don't want to go to the bad place, right? Who wants to do that? Sounds nice in the heavens with the cherubim and just eating all the ice cream I could ever eat and not get fat. That's awesome heaven, right? I get to eat forever and just be and have peace and love. And so this narrative that we were saved by caused us. And I'm thankful for this narrative because sometimes we need that push, that decision to follow Jesus. But it's not helpful. Revivals are not helpful when it's based on, are you in or out? And that is not Paul's idea either. And so just to remind ourselves again, remember, mountaintop, keep remembering. In Jesus, you are a holy temple. This is the phrase which Paul wants to get us to. So what is Paul's biblical view of narrative that he is wanting us to see this context by. So let's go on a journey together. So Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 here. Let's read this together. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Got a bit of repetition here. Blessed, blessed, blessing. 
So when is the first time that humanity was blessed? When was the first time that humanity was blessed? Thank you, Rick. Gold star. Good job. You are chosen. So you've got the lens. You know. And so we look at this first passage that God created in his image, male and female, he created them. That God is both male and female together, unified as one. And he says this, and God blessed them. And God said to him, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves. So we have humanity as our first capture. So humanity has been blessed with this amazing blessing that they are to take dominion over the whole earth. The Garden of Eden is to be cultivated and grow and consume the whole world. The earth was formless and void. God brought order and chaos, but he didn't rectify everything. That He wanted to co-labor with humanity and say, I want to do this together to bring wholeness, shalom, peace to this whole world world. And so how did humanity do with that wonderful blessing? Say it loud. Terrible, awful, lasted two pages. We couldn't last very long whatsoever. In fact, it came along that we certainly did fill the earth. In Genesis 6, it says we filled it with violence. Good job, everybody. We're real good at that. Leave us by ourselves, void of God, and we will fill the earth with violence. And so God obviously brought the ark, brought judgment upon that, removed and said, Noah, I'm going to give you a blessing. You're going to start this whole trip again, and I'm going to leave you to your own demise. I'm going to let you just go and see if you can work it out. And so for the next couple of chapters, right up to chapter 11, we have this crescendo moment where the Tower of Babel comes, this tower of man that wants to come together because they believe that they should be God. Remember that God complex has not left them. They want to be God. So this Tower of Babel comes together and they want to ascend to the heavens to be God. But notice this in this passage here in Genesis 11, 4. Then they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops to the heaven. Let us make a name for ourselves. This is big, names. For ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. What was the blessing? Go forth and multiply. Fill the earth. Man wants to centralize. And so any time that we become centralized, any time that we decide that our method, our way is the best way, is not helpful. So any time that we decide that we want to be our own nation and not help anyone else out, that's not God's blessing. Any time that we become a church where we decide that we stick in the four walls and say, we don't want to be dispersed, God is going to be like, I'm either going to end you or I'm going to disperse you. Like That is his heart because he wants us to fill the whole earth. And so he in himself, God blesses and curses at the same time because he changes our languages, but he disperses everyone out in his mercy throughout the whole known world. And so we have in chapter 12, we have our friend Abe. Abraham, Father Abraham, who had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. Let's go. And so anyone who just felt like needed to sing. Every time I hear his song, I need to sing that song. But Father Abraham, he gathers this man, and he says this promise straight off the bat, right off of the Tower of Babel, he takes one person. Remember, he took Adam and Eve, two people. He took Abraham. And what did he say and do? And I will make of you a great nation. 
I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be. Thank you. Blessed. A little repetition again. You notice that. Why is it that God always wants to take a single person and bless them? Why does he always want to choose them and bless them for the nations? Notice that. I will bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. And all the family shall bless the earth. Where is it again? I will make your nations. I will bless you. So so in all its life, I will make you. You will be my vessel for blessing. So I want to say today that election... So election is another type of choosing. We have that word election in our words. We elect a president. Predestination is another wonderful Christian word where God foreknew and he chose and chosen, which we all know. But I want to say that God chooses one out of the many so that through the one he can restore the blessing back to the many. A lot of times we've put on our lens, remember our world lens that we picked, that it's about salvation. Are you in or are you out? I want to put to you that Paul's biblical narrative is actually about God is choosing you to be a blessing. This is my framework that I want to put to you today, that predestination and election is about choosing of a blessing rather than are you in or out. God chose everybody, and actually, in fact, God chooses to bless. So first off, humanity. We've got Abraham. Israel's birthed out of him. He has 12 sons. They go to Egypt. Moses rescues them. They take over the land of, um, through the Canaanites and all the ites. They have the judges. They have the kings. How did Israel do? Terrible. It's a great word. Any other ad- adjectives that people want to say right now? No, terrible is the one we're going for. Terrible. So Israel, they did terrible. They did awful. They were just horrendous. They were not only a curse to themselves, but they were a curse to many other armies and nations around them. They were just awful. And so with that, we've got humanity that's failing, but we've also got Israel that's failing. So humanity picked out Israel to be the vehicle of blessing. They failed. The world is already in need of blessing. So we've got two narratives of failure that are not working. And so we ourselves need help, and we need a Savior. And so we need a Messiah. We need someone that's going to come in and save. That All the prophets, all the people spoke about this coming Messiah that would be the Savior to all. That he would be the one that unified and brought healing. He brought rulership. That he would be the peace bringer to all the world. And actually, the psalmist is a beautiful passage in Psalm 72. Psalms is full of messianic, messianic meaning, prophecies, meaning of a savior that is to come. And so this, uh, this psalm is a prophecy. And let's read it together. May his name endure forever. His name continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. May people be blessed by him. In that interesting language again, may this Savior, this one, be chosen, predestined before the foundations of the earth, chosen to be a blessing 
to the many. And so we have this beautiful picture of when Jesus came to earth, when he died, when he rose again, that he brought unity. And he told the disciples at the end of Matthew to make disciples of all cultures. Make disciples of all the nations in the world. The door is wide open for all to come. And if they follow my way, they will be blessed. And I just love this picture here in him. That now we are chosen, beloved, predestined, that the image of Israel and the nations are covered together, that we are no longer separated, that there is no longer chosen nations, but there is one nation under God. It's not America. It's not any other nation. We are all chosen because of what Jesus has done. I know that rubs people a little bit the wrong way, but this is the truth of why Jesus died. And Paul understands this. Even in this letter, he is unifying everybody under him in Jesus. And that is a beautiful picture, and you can say amen to that. So let's reread this passage again of Ephesians 1, 3, and 6 with this lens of not being chosen and predestined for salvation, but actually to be a blessing to other people. So Ephesians 3 and 6 says this, Blessed be the God of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with just every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that all the foundations, all the world, that he should be holy and blameless before him. That line just gets me every single time. That we need to remind ourselves that in Christ, your future self is holy, that it is blameless, that you are righteous. In love, he predestined us for adoption in himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, that we should be blessed in him. That the Father chose you before the foundations of the earth. Some of you just need to hear that today, that you are chosen, that you are loved, that you are adored, that God wants to be in relationship with you, that he chose and knew you in your mother's womb, that he knew you, predestined you, and he is choosing you. You are chosen. And the choice is, will you choose him back? Will you choose to say, you know what? I want to be chosen back. I want to be in relationship with him. So what's the point of all this choosing? Because he's not really answered that question. So when we go into the next part of the verses, this makes a little more sense. So we go to Ephesians 7 to 10. It says, in him, in Christ, we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mysteries of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And this is the central kicker. Paul himself has labeled out, and again, this wonderful layer, it's in God we are chosen, in Christ we are redeemed, in the Spirit, which is the later part of these verses, we are sealed. In the central part, which is Christ's redemption, in the central part of his section that is kind of split apart, it says, to unite all things in him, in heaven, on earth. What's our mountaintop? In Jesus, we are a holy temple. What is a temple? A meeting place of where heaven and earth join together. 
to unite all things in him. Paul, at the start of his letter, is launching into this concept that you are not just chosen in or out. No, you are chosen to be a blessing to people. That's yours. And your blessing of vessel is to unite all things on heaven and on earth. How are we feeling? For some of you, the story you've been told has been maybe predestination, that you are chosen in or out. And maybe for you, this is kind of like, I need to sit with this for a bit. And that's okay. That is fine. For some of you, you're like, I have no clue what you're talking about, predestination and stuff. And that is awesome. Don't even bother going there. Just take on this concept that you are chosen and you are to unite all things on heaven on earth. Now, that sounds massive in itself, right? Like, that's like, where do I even begin? Don't worry. We're on a journey. Treetop. Holy temple. This is where we're going. But Paul is already echoing in this new truth. He's already set this, this truth that in place, in Christ, because of you are chosen to unite all things on earth. This is radical and wonderful all at the same time. That you are a vehicle of blessing. Chosen to be through Christ. So like Israel was always a chosen vehicle to be a blessing, now all of us in Christ are now that chosen blessing to unite all things. So you are chosen in Christ to be a blessing of uniting all things to him. So I want you to let go of whether you're good enough or not. I want to speak to you who feel like, man, I don't even know if I'm chosen by God. If you're here today, you are chosen by God. Like, God is like, if you're here just pursuing me and wanting to be with me, you're chosen. You cannot earn it anymore. And stop trying to qualify yourself thinking, am I good enough? Am I living a good enough life? If you are surrendering your life to Jesus and trying the very best that you can in that, you are chosen. He chose everyone. He wants to save the whole world. We need to get that narrative. Not some are chosen and some are not. It's never in or out. God was about bringing the whole world reconciliation. So you're wanted. You're loved. It's more than just surviving. Because some of you today, you just feel like you're surviving. This is a message of thriving. You're a blessing. Can I speak that over you? You are a blessing. You are a blessing. You are a blessing. You are a blessing. Whether you feel like it or not, in Christ, you are chosen to be that blessing, to be that whole new dynamic of the kingdom of God. Like he predestined Israel to be the vehicle, now you are. But there is work to be done. There is work to be done. So Paul has started this conversation to say that you are redeemed, you are made whole, you are made new. Now go understand what this means. Go understand what it means to be this new temple, the Holy Spirit inside of us. Come rest on us, Holy Spirit. Come invade our hearts, Holy Spirit. Come pour out of me, Holy Spirit. Let me be a difference, an atmosphere shaper and changer in this space. So let's bring it just to ground zero right now. Let's bring it back. What does this mean for you right now? What I would say is, what do you have in your hands What do you have before you? And can I just bring it just a little more immediate and bring it into Father's Day today as we land this message today? We are in a desperate situation in our nation. A fatherless generation that keeps on increasing. Divorce rates over 50%, both in the Christian world and in the secular world. We are no better than either or. That this message of I don't need to walk with my partner anymore, that I can just fling it. And there are valid reasons, please don't get me wrong in hearing this. If there are abuses and things, there are valid reasons to get divorced. I get that. 
totally. Like, I'm not against that whatsoever. But are we a world, are we a people that are fathers and want to be fathers to many? Today we celebrate Father's Day and it is in need of desperate restoration. I was trying to buy a card for my, my dad online to send to him. And as I was flicking through the list, my dad either had to be an alcoholic, constantly drinking all the time, or I was his little piece of you fill in the blank. And that kind of joke that I'm just not good enough, Dad, I always displease you, but I try and make it to you. There was no words of like, man, I just honor you. You're an amazing father. It was just not there. And I know that a lot of times we've had the equality of honoring mothers. There are so many beautiful cards that I can send to my mother, but to my father is just nothing. Because we live in this world that just wants to make fun, point and poke at the father that really is more of just a time where we diminish and speak against him because he's not been there, because he's been lacking. And so we've diminished the role of the father. And if you want to understand why there's all identity issues, that is the issue. Why we're experiencing non-binary and all the other movements that are going on is because we have lacked the father to bring the identity. From the very beginning of Genesis, we see that God says, Adam, would you give the names to the, father, uh, to the animals? Blessings came through the Father. The Father speaks blessing out on his children. The Father gives names to their children. We believe this, right? We know this truth. But yet, we don't always live it out. Sometimes I'm quick with my words and I wish I wasn't. I wish I was someone that could be able to speak life all the time to my children, but I don't. That's why RTF's a great ministry. We sometimes go through stuff and like, well, that's going to need RTF. Uh, we're going to need some counseling on that one. We can say sorry, but we know some truth has been rooted into them and that we need to correct it through. We're not perfect parents by any means. But if we want to be the chosen vessels that are of blessing, why not start with our words? Even as Ashley so wonderfully, and we didn't even coordinate on what to say, she felt in the spirit to talk about the words, how powerful words are. And I would like to finish with that today, how powerful words are. You know a bit of my story in the sense of my uh, father's, I showed it briefly and maybe you don't even remember, but my great, great granddad um, had a terrible experience. Um, he actually killed a woman through his horse and cart, so we're going way back. And um, the, the, what happened was depression filled his life because he killed a woman, didn't mean to, it was a complete accident, and it shut him down into depression, died early because of it. We see my great-granddad follow that same suit, depression. Because his dad was void being in that space, depression fell through to him, anxieties. To my granddad came the exact same thing, but he was also in World War II. PTSD had set in. He never talks about all the friends that he lost. Every single friend he lost, he was the only one to come back. And for you who know other people who suffer in that way, you know the torment that goes through their mind. But not only did he have depression, he was on PTSD as well. And so my relation, the relationship with the granddad and my dad was terrible. Verbal abuse constantly. My dad would weep whenever he had ministry over the healing of his father in his life. He eventually managed to say, I forgive you, on his deathbed towards the end of his life. But it was so traumatic upon his life and impacted me as well because my dad was not able to truly love the way that he wanted to. I know that he loves me, but it wasn't shown the way that I needed to be loved. And so the words of affirmation weren't there. He was not. And it's funny when my mom tries to get us to hug. You know, if you have those parents, just hug your son. Just hug your son. And we have this awkward kind of hug, like, love you, dad, love you, kind of stuff. And I had to learn myself. 
But my dad did change the story. I know without doubt, though he was not perfect by any means, he is a man of prayer, and he prays for me every single day. He takes care of us. He might not be able to show it with words because of the damage in his own soul, but I know that he loved me, and he changed the narrative when he decided to follow Jesus. And he changed that narrative for the better. Now, I'm not perfect either, but I'm a stepping stone. As he led the way of a passionate follower of Jesus, my dad loves God taught me that. My parents so wonderfully taught that is a relationship with Jesus and nothing else. They love Jesus with all their hearts. And so for me, it was a stepping stone of being reparented by my heavenly father to love. And I hope that I'm being a stepping stone to my children. I hope that I'm bringing affirmation, love, and care. Though Rachel has been a wonderful gift to me in helping that because I'm not a touchy-feely person. Rachel is all sorts of touchy-feely. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to learn how to do this. Like back rubbies is what we call it right there. And she just wants a bit of back rubbies. And, and so, yeah, it's a great word. Rubbies is what we say. Um, and so we have that. But it's great that that truth kind of comes through, that she is teaching me how to be loved by the Father through marriage. And through that decision, we're learning through that. You can be a course changer for your family. You might not have the narrative that you wanted, but you can be the new narrative to see transformation and change in your life if you want to. You are chosen. You are chosen. Will you respond to it? Will you be the vehicle of blessing? And so just in these final minutes, I'd love for just men to stand up in this space today. So if you're a man, would you stand to your feet? And what we want to do is I just want to pray a blessing over you. If we could, uh, ladies, if we could extend a hand to them as well. God, we just thank you that you have called men to be men. Lord, I know that the world has tried to change all that, that you're not manly enough, that men shouldn't cry, and that's a complete lie. That you shouldn't be in touch with your feelings, that's a complete lie that we always strive to try and be manly enough and that we feel so insecure to share who we are. And so God, I just pray blessing and affirmation over these men that they are blessed. They are blessed to be a blessing. Lord, that your goodness and your mercy is upon them, that they are made righteous in your name, that they are blameless, that they are holy, that they are head of the house, that they are leaders. And God, for those who are not yet fathers, or we speak to them as well. God, that they would step into the role that you have called us because you have called us equal, man and woman, to co-labor together, yet we have different roles, but we are equal. And so where the messaging is to try to diminish these men, where it's tried to say that you're not manly enough, or you're this, you're that, or man, you should be like this, or the shame that is upon your life that you feel like you can't be a man, God, I break that off in Jesus' name. Lord, I break off the shame right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for just even now a supernatural moment of you, Holy Spirit, touching and affirming these men to all that you've called them to be. In you, not what the world says that a man should be, but what the Scripture says a man should be. What he is called to be. And so, God, we just remove all shame in Jesus' name. I just feel that right now. Shame be gone. Maybe you're not living up to the life that you wish to, or maybe there are things that you're involved in that you know that are consuming your life. Lord God, I pray that you would speak new identity, that the shame that is holding them chained does not need to hold them anymore, that we receive the gift that you are in your family, in your workspaces. Lord God, in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Thank you so much. But this is for all of us today. 
as Ashley started, if you recorded yourself today, what will your words be saying? If God spoke into creation the world, how much more powerful are your words? And how can we change atmospheres? Remember, you are chosen, not in or out, but you're chosen to be a blessing. And it's because of Christ's wide open door. And so God, I just finish up this time praying for us all. Lord, help us to know what this means for us. How can we be a holy temple that unites all things? A chosen vessel that is a blessing to our family today. Help us to speak blessing over our children today. Those around us, to our friends and our families, help us to be slow to speak. Help us to be quick to listen. Help us to be people that don't just quickly kind of like cover up our, our stuff, but Lord, that we would learn to be just vulnerable for what, towards one another. God, that you choose us. For those who need to hear that today, that you're chosen. You are chosen. And you're chosen more than just to survive. You are chosen to thrive. So God, we just help us to learn as we continue this journey in Ephesians. And maybe again today, you need to reread through the blessings that are in Ephesians chapter 1. Maybe that's your action today, that you need to reaffirm yourself again and again the transformative words that you are redeemed, that you are forgiven, that you are made whole, that you are full of grace because of Jesus. Lord, that you have an inheritance because of the Lord Jesus Christ. That these are the words of affirmation that need to be spoken over you every single day. That when you wake up and you look in the mirror, that you can say to the mirror, I am redeemed. I am chosen. I have an inheritance. I am blessed beyond blessed. And that I can give out to others and be a blessing. Lord, Holy Spirit, just teach us what this means for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen.